New Gonzaga assistant coach RJ Barsh and the Gonzaga Bulldogs are showing interest in a seven foot four rim protecting center from Florida State, Naheem McLeod. Here is why he is the perfect, perfect big man addition for this squad. You are locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Well, we got a pair of transfer portal targets to discuss today for the Zags before we close things out discussing Lisa Fortier and the women's team. They have added a player. They have lost a player. What does it mean for the roster next season? We'll close out the show talking about that. But today we are leading talking about Zags known interest in Florida State transfer center Naheem McLeod. Now, for those of you who have not heard about McLeod, he is a seven foot four center from Philadelphia. He spent the last two seasons at Florida State with the Knolls. Of course, it is very, very notable that Gonzaga assistant coach R.J. Barsh, who replaced Roger Powell a couple weeks ago, was at Florida State previously to that. He was only spent one year at Florida State, but obviously got a lot of exposure, a lot of opportunities to work with McLeod. So, while I think McLeod's got a list of 17 or so schools that are interested, and then we'll talk about that momentarily, but typically when you see a player from the East Coast who has all of his connections to the East Coast, who doesn't have a lot of connections out West, and you see Gonzaga's name on there with a list of other schools that are local to that area, you might not think too much about it. And of course, early lists that tend to be 15, 20, 25 teams long rarely mean all of that much anyway. But we have to talk about McLeod here for two reasons. One, he fits a need for Gonzaga's roster next season, and his youth and rawness and rim-protecting ability all kind of match what Gonzaga might look for in a transfer portal center. And B, there is an obvious connection. R.J. Barsh knows Naheem McLeod. He is familiar with him. When he reaches out to him, McLeod is far more likely to take that call and show that interest. Of course, any big man should show some interest in coming to Gonzaga because of what they have done with big men over the past. So there's a lot of reasons to believe that this could at least be something, be a school that McLeod legitimately considers as his next destination in college. Again, seven foot four center from Philadelphia in the, his first season with the Knolls, 2021 22. He played in 18 games. He only made five starts. He only played about 11 minutes per night, uh, four and a half points per game, two boards, about a half a block per game. So a half a block in 11 minutes, not great, not terrible. Uh, he shot 68% from the field, though. You got to love that. 68% from the field. Again, four and a half points per game in 11 minutes. So we're talking about a very small sample size. Also only 18 games. So he didn't even play a full season. But obviously a player of his size, you would expect them to have a relatively high efficiency rate around the rim because most people are not going to be big enough to stop them from scoring. So it's nice to see that he can put the ball in the rim uh, at an effective clip, uh, especially because of his size. Next season, 2022-23, this past year at Florida State, he played in 28 games and made 11 starts, so much more of an impactful contributor in that perspective, although he still only played 13 minutes per game. And to me, I would need to know, and I haven't dug into a bunch of tape here or anything like that yet, but I would like to know, is it a fatigue issue? Is it a, a system issue at Florida State? Or, or kind of what's the deal there? Because certainly Gonzaga is not going to bring him in in year one to play a huge role. But if 
you don't have the expectation that he's ever going to play much more than 15, 20 minutes per game. That doesn't necessarily mean you don't bring him in, but it does change the equation a little bit of how impactful you perceive this player can, can be at their top end in your program. Uh, so last year, again, in those 13 minutes per game, 3.8 points. So his points per game actually dropped a little bit up to 2.7 boards. Big story, though, up to 1.2 blocks. 1.2 blocks may not jump off the page as this huge number, but I want to reiterate that he did that in 13 minutes per game. That is a staggering production number from a blocks perspective. 3.8 points, 2.7 boards is not elite for 13 minutes per game. It's not awful. It's fine. His field goal percentage dropped from that 68% as a freshman all the way down to 54.7% as a sophomore Still not bad, still solid, but you'd like to see that closer to 60%, especially for a guy at his size, but still some solid production numbers there. Uh, he's got some significant work to do from the charity stripe. There is no three-point shot here whatsoever, and the free throw percentage gives you a good indication that there's probably not going to be much of a three-point shot as he is a career 45.6% free throw shooter. So he's going to be a guy who his impact for Gonzaga or really wherever he ends up is going to be made almost exclusively on the defensive end of the floor. That might not be a bad thing for Gonzaga, quite honestly. Looking ahead at some of the schools that have showed interest in Barsh up to this point, here is a list of schools that he has heard from according to Twitter. Syracuse, St. John's, Villanova, Arizona, Clemson, South Carolina, Wake Forest, Texas, West Virginia, Georgetown, Memphis, Pitt, Butler, Minnesota, Ole Miss, Temple, and Rutgers. So Gonzaga is very far from the only premier high major elite program that is showing interest here. I mean, we're talking about Texas, we're talking about Arizona, we're talking about Villanova, we're talking about a whole host, West Virginia still in the mix here. We're talking about a whole host of Big 12 Big East, high-level programs that have shown interest so far. Again, we mentioned that McLeod is from Philadelphia area. He's from Pennsylvania. So you'd think Temple is a school that stands out to me as like, yeah, they're the one of the least heralded programs on this list, but it's his hometown. It's literally his hometown. I think of any of these programs that are going to promise him guaranteed minutes right away, Temple's probably a program that could do that. So that's a school that I'd keep an eye on. Of course, Villanova is very close by Pitt in the same state as well. Uh, certainly a lot of different things that could factor in here as well. Of course, one of them being his connection to Gonzaga assistant coach RJ Barsh, which you only kind of talked about already, but definitely something that makes this situation even more worth monitoring than your generic hey here's a list of a bunch of schools that includes Gonzaga on it in terms of role I think this is what makes McLeod so interesting to me is because right now I don't know that Gonzaga has the is going to recruit a big that is going to take minutes away from Anton Watson Graham EK Ben Gregg now we're making the assumption that Anton Watson is coming back I don't know if the staff is making that set, set assumption or not as well. I don't know what they should be doing. So that is a obvious factor here. But for me, if you do think Anton Watson's coming back, you have to expect that Watson, EK, and Greg are your three primary post players. You also still have Caden Perry, assuming he is healthy enough to set foot on the floor next year, which he has indicated that he plans to be back at that time. We will see what that looks like. You have Braden Huff who of course did not come here to redshirt for a year and then not play his next year. So there's, he's going to be competing for those fourth big minutes alongside Caden Perry. You also have two newcomers coming in and Alex Tui and Jun Suk Yo, who are both six, eight, 
maybe more threes than fours, but might factor into that kind of front court mix as well. So I don't think you can go out and recruit a big who needs to come in and play 25 minutes per game unless you are basically pushing somebody out. And and somebody in this case would probably be Anton Watson. The Zags are not pushing him out by any stretch of the imagination. So if you want him to get minutes, if you want Greg to get minutes, if you need EK to get minutes, you don't have a ton of other minutes to go around. That's why I think McCloyd is an interesting fit. A, he's played about 12 minutes per game in his first two seasons of his collegiate career. So it's not like he would be taking a huge dip in playing time were he to come to Gonzaga. He has multiple years of eligibility remaining. And he's just kind of a development big. He's raw. He's, he's you know, his offensive game is still really underdeveloped. Uh, the defensive game is, is already there. The impact is there. So you can look at him and kind of fit him into the puzzle for Gonzaga as a rim-protecting big who can give you 10 to 12 minutes per night that, you know, force the other team to not be, you know, not have as much ability to drive to the basket with the free reign, which is what we saw a lot last year. Just, you know, think about that UCLA game and Amari Bailey and Jaime Hawkins just getting to the rim, getting to the rim, getting to the rim. And uh, I know Gonzaga won that game, but we saw, I mean, we saw that in conference play a significant amount of times as well. And so having a player like this who can develop behind the scenes, who can get better by going up against EK and Watson and Greg in practice, who can get better because Gonzaga bigs just get better while they're sitting, while they're waiting to play. Like it's, it's something that has happened pretty consistently for the last 20 years and he can already fill a role in year one. I mean, there's a lot of benefits there. There's a lot of things you can see why this would make sense to have him be your fourth big. Now, of course, the biggest questions is what does this mean for Braden Huff? Does he enter the portal if this happens? What does this mean for Caden Perry? Uh, does he want to stick around? Does he feel healthy enough to to try to transfer somewhere else and convince somebody to take a shot on him? Is he going to stay and wait another year? Like, what, what does this mean for Anton Watson? Could this be enough to push him out the door? I doubt it, but you never know. I think if Gonzaga got an inkling, that recruiting or signing a player like McCloyd would push Watson out the door. I don't think they would do it. So there's a lot here. There's a lot here, a lot of questions, a lot of things to, to figure out how this works. But to me, if Gonzaga is going to add a big, and I think the priority is guards. And we'll talk about that in the second segment, but if Gonzaga is going to add a big, a young developmental big with rim protecting ability and size, because you know, Caden Perry's got rim protecting ability, but he's six nine. So there's some level of he's capped in in some level and how far he can be an elite rim protector. McCloyd is not his potential as a rim protector is sky high. So that's the kind of player I would want to add. Like that's the archetype I'd be looking for young developmental big with rim protecting abilities. McCloyd fits that to a T and he already has a connection at Gonzaga in RJ Barsh. To me, this makes a ton of sense. As much sense as you can find. Is he a name that's going to like, you know, that's going to put Gonzaga, move Gonzaga up a bunch of transfer ranking lists the way that Ryan Nemhart or Graham Ike did? No. But is it the kind of shrewd move that a coach like Mark Few should be making to bolster his roster and make it the best possible group of guys that he can take into the next year? Yes, absolutely it is. We'll continue to keep an update on McLeod if this list gets shortened and if Gonzaga remains in that conversation. But for me, this is a slam dunk decision for the Zags if they can convince him to move across the country, follow his old coach in Barsh, and come to Spokane. Well, the backcourt is a more pressing immediate need for the Zags. And next up is a player that could help Mark Few's team in the short and the long term. More on that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers can get step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. 
Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to get a win for the Mariners. Maybe you want to bet on Eli Morgan to get a save for the Cleveland Guardians. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, segment two. I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For you everyday listeners, this week on the show, we got more transfer portal updates. We're going to continue to look at guards the Zags could pursue in the portal as either replacements for Malachi Smith or alongside Malachi Smith if we think he's coming back. We're also going to continue our season in review series. Tons of great stuff here for you everyday listeners on Locked On Zags. Right now, we want to talk about a guard that the Zags could pursue in the portal, a guard who very recently entered the transfer portal. And I want to be clear here. At times, we're going to talk about some of the higher profile guards. There are some really big, interesting names in the transfer portal that we'll talk about later this week. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about Jonathan Lawson from Memphis, Arterio Morris from Texas. Heck, we haven't talked about Severe Wheeler, who I don't think the Zags are strongly connected to out of Kentucky. But there are some bigger, high profile names in the portal. The name I'm talking about today is not necessarily one of those names, but bear with me because I think there's a lot of reasoning that this could be a solid match for the Zags. The player I'm talking about today in this segment is UT Arlington point guard Shendall Weaver. Weaver is a six foot three combo guard from Mansfield, Texas. Last year, he was the WAC freshman of the year. To me, we're talking about a player who has three years of eligibility remaining. So that's why I mentioned this could be a short-term and long-term addition for the Zags. Trying to make long-term transfer portal additions is tough. Efton Reed was viewed as a long-term transfer portal addition. It did not work. Now, the rules have tightened up where if you want to transfer a second time, you have to sit out a year. In theory, that will convince players, maybe have less players entering the portal a second time assuming that the NCAA does not grant waivers in these situations, something that we will kind of find out how often that ends up happening. But to me, a player like Shindal Weaver, who has three years of eligibility remaining and has already posted a very, very good season in college basketball is well worth taking a look at. For Weaver, he played again one year at UT Arlington last year. Uh, His coach got fired in the middle of the season, so that's a pretty compelling reason for why a player would enter the transfer portal. Uh, He played 32 games last year for UT Arlington, 25 starts, played about 30 minutes per game. So he was a big-time contributor for this team in year one. Nine and a half points per game, 4.6 rebounds, two assists, 0.9 steals. He shot 46.5% on two-pointers, but here's the kicker. He shot 40.2% on threes and about two and a half attempts per game. So he had the ball in his hands a lot. He got a lot of rebounds. He distributed the ball capably. He got a decent amount of steals and he shot 40% from deep. 
He was also 70% from the free throw line. And we saw some solid performances from him, even in their non-conference slate. Case in point, they played University of San Francisco, an opponent he would face uh, if he joined the Zags. Of course, he had eight points, 10 boards, two assists, and two steals in that game. You kind of love that all-around performance that Weaver can give you in that kind of game. Also worth noting that while we've talked about freshman slumps a handful of time, and we've talked about it with Nolan Hickman in particular, uh, we saw it with Julian Strother in his first year as a big player, not last year, but the year prior to that. Weaver, not the case. In fact, in the month of February, he showed exactly what he can be if you really let him loose and let him go. In February, again, in the wax, so not playing a ton of high-level competition, seven games, 34 minutes per game, all of them starts for Weaver. He averaged 13.7 points, five rebounds, 2.1 assists, and he shot 52% from deep. 52% from three, 14 points per game, seven starts, 34 minutes per game. This dude was on an absolute heater in February. You tell me we could, Gonzaga couldn't use a player like that? Yeah, maybe you, you bump his numbers down a little bit going from the WAC to the WCC, but man, 52% from deep in a seven-game stretch in February. 40.2% on the season. This is a dead-eye sniper, outside shooter, guy who I think could really contribute. Right now, wh- who is interested in him remains to be seen. He entered the portal, as I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, he entered the portal yesterday, Monday afternoon, We have not seen a list. We have not seen who is interested. Perhaps he entered the portal knowing where he'd want to go. Maybe that's the case for him. I don't know. It's not, wouldn't be surprising to see other high major Texas programs give him a look. Baylor is down a whole bunch of guards. Adam Flagler's in the NBA. Keontae George is going to the NBA. LJ Cryer transferred to Houston. Dale Bonner transferred to Oklahoma. Baylor needs some guards. They added Jaden Nunn from VCU. That's a big addition for them, but it would not be surprising for me to for them to take a look at some mid-major Texas area guards that maybe they took a look at coming out of high school. And I would imagine Weaver would fit into that consideration. Texas Tech already grabbed a guard from the WAC. Chance McMillian, who went to Grand Canyon, he averaged about 10 points per game in the WAC last year. So did Weaver. Like there's, there's an obvious connection there that could potentially happen if Texas Tech wanted to continue to add uh, some mid-major players to their team because they have had their roster gutted after the uh, really unceremonious firing of Mark Adams after the season. I could also see some other high-level mid-major programs in Texas potentially giving him a look here. Uh, North Texas, they're going to have to replace Tyler Perry, who entered the transfer portal, who's one of the best uh, transfer portal guards still available uh, at this point. A North Texas team that went to the NIT championship last year probably should have made the NCAA tournament. Uh, they're going to be in that conversation again in Conference USA next year. Actually, I think, excuse me, they're moving to the American Conference next year. So they're bumping up a level, higher conference, going to need some talent. I could see that or UTEP. Uh, same kind of situation for them. I think there's some programs there. Rice even makes some sense. So he's also not limited to staying in Texas. I know I'm focusing on that because a lot of people tend to stay home. And as a guy who stayed home his first year in college, I think it's possible he continues to do that. But again, I think for Gonzaga to to take a look here and say, hey, this is a guy who we think could potentially play a role for us right away. And and if we believe that there's some development potential for him, I mean, he was a guy who was not recruited at all out of high school. Most guys who end up at UT Arlington weren't really all that recruited. He didn't have any stars at 24-7 sports. He was also listed at being 6-1 coming out of high school. Uh, UTA listed him at 6-3. Sometimes those those rankings are those lists are just off. So that's it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but also sometimes 18, 19 year old kids grow. So it's possible he's gotten a little bit bigger, filled out his body a little bit more. Uh, So for me, 
Is it a super realistic target? I don't know. Not necessarily. Has Gonzaga gone down to the mid-major level to find a depth guard before? Absolutely. Gino Crandall is an exceptional example of that. Uh, Aaron Cook was it was a mid-major guard, came to Gonzaga, then of course went to Georgia for his final year of eligibility. So it's not like the Zags haven't done this before. Uh, you'd think whack freshman of the year would be a somewhat appealing target as one of the best young players in the entire conference. Uh, again, I think there's a possibility that we would see a, a Woolridge effect, also another mid-major guard who came to Gonzaga, and Ryan Woolridge from North Texas, who we just mentioned there. Uh, I don't think that he's going to go from 40% from three to 50% from three necessarily, but he was in a role where he shot 40% on two and a half attempts per game. I think that could more or less be his role next year, just coming off the bench. He comes off the bench, he plays... 15, 18 minutes per night in a third, fourth guard role kind of depends what you do with Dusty Stromer in this situation, obviously depends significantly on what happens with Malachi Smith. Uh, but if, if Malachi Smith's gone, then you have Weaver playing a relatively big role behind uh, Ryan Nembhard, behind Nolan Hickman, alongside Dusty Stromer. Those guys also fill in at the three behind Steel Venters as well. I think you see a situation where Weaver, he's often the fourth or fifth option on the floor offensively. He might get some more open looks, might be a more efficient score around the rim, more efficient mid-range score, maybe even a more efficient three-point shooter as well. I think there's a lot to like, a lot of appeal here in Weaver. There's also, if we're being honest, a fair amount of players somewhat similar to him who are available. But I think that this archetype good three-point shooter, younger developmental guard, uh, maybe exceeded expectations in their first one or two years in college. That, to me, feels like a Gonzaga player because they can they can continue to develop you. They can give you space. They can give you room to run. And I'd need to watch more of UT Arlington's offense to see kind of what style he played. But I think there's a lot of opportunity here, a lot of uh, the kind of player, whether it's him or somebody like him, that I think could really thrive at Gonzaga, again, in a small role in the short term and then potentially in a larger role, uh, depending on, of course, who Gonzaga recruits in the future and how long Ryan Nemhard stays and all that other good stuff. But I think this is the kind of addition that may not turn a lot of heads, similar with McCloyd, like we talked about in the first segment, but might be exactly what Gonzaga needs to, you know, you're only going to play eight or nine players. You don't need to add, you know, a whole bunch of superstars. You need to find guys to fill those roles. And to me, Weaver and McCloyd would be guys who could kind of fill some of those not as sexy roles on Gonzaga's roster, but, but really important ones for them to, to compete for a championship next season. Well, East 48's program has made one addition in the transfer portal and has one player on the way out. We'll break it down on the show to close us out right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still Locked on Zags. Still want to thank all of you for making Locked on Zags your first listen of the day. We talked about McLeod in the first segment, Weaver in the second segment, a pair of transfers from Florida State and UT Arlington, who the Zags, we know they have interest in McLeod. We don't know if they have interest in Weaver, but they fit needs or molds of kind of player archetypes that I think would be good to have on this Gonzaga roster for next season. We're going to close out the show talking about the women's basketball program. I want to shout out Heat Check College Basketball. They put together an extremely comprehensive list of the women's basketball transfer portal. It exists on the men's side at a handful of different websites. doesn't really exist on the women's side. Talia Goodman put it together, uh, a reporter at the University of Indiana. She put it together at Heat Check College Basketball. It's a list of every single player who has entered the portal, every where they have ended up, where they have landed, if that is news that we have at this point. It is getting updated on a daily basis. Highly recommend checking out if you're interested in what player movement is happening on the women's basketball side. For Gonzaga, here is the update. One player in, one player out. 
that's what we have so far. We didn't expect there to be a ton of updates this year because the biggest update that the women's basketball program got was the announcement that basically everybody is coming back. Bonnie Ejim's coming back. Eliza Hollingsworth's coming back. The Trunk Twins are coming back. That is a huge, huge boost for this. This team is going to be deep. They're going to be experienced. They're going to have a connection with each other, a camaraderie that a lot of other teams don't have. Uh, I think it's going to make them a really, really exciting team. They are adding a player from the University of Utah named Naya Ajukwu. And a first glance at her stats is going to look a little bit eye-raising because she didn't really do a whole lot at her first year in Utah. That is due to injuries. Here is who Ajukwu is, though. She was the Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Idaho during the 2020-2021 high school season. That was her junior year. She put up the following, 24.8 points per game, 10 boards, and over two blocks per game as a junior. Absolutely monstrous performance. Look, I'm not going to pretend that uh, Idaho women's basketball is necessarily an elite stomping ground for talent, but still, when you dominate everybody you play and you end up getting recruited by the University of Utah, who was a top seed in the NCAA tournament last year, that gives you a pretty good indication of what kind of player she has the potential to be. She suffered a knee injury during her senior season of high school, and it impacted her first year at Utah as well. She only played four games for the Utes last year, five and a half minutes per game, 3.3 points, 2.3 boards. The stats don't really matter in a four game sample size. The first game she played was against Mississippi Valley state. She had 10 and five again, a, you know, a lower level opponent for, for Utah, certainly, but still some indication that she can almost certainly contribute at this level. And now she joins the Zags. She follows Brenna Maxwell, Brenna Maxwell, who of course transferred from Utah to Gonzaga last year, and then led the nation in three point shooting. Got to imagine that seeing somebody succeed, that tremendously in that move probably helped Ajuku make the same move herself. Uh, and there is a role available to her. We just talked about how many, so, how many players are returning, how there's not a lot of open minutes necessarily going around on Gonzaga's women's team, but they did lose a player in the transfer portal in Michaela Williams. And Ajuku is a similar size, similar position out on the wing. So I think that that's kind of the obvious replacement angle here that, that Lisa Fortier is looking at when adding a player like a Juku. Of course, we need to figure out the injury history. Is she going to be ready to contribute on day one? What does that look like? Certainly, I'm sure they've done their due diligence in that regard, but I think that a Juku does come in and helps replace Michaela Williams, who, mind you, was very good last year. So Williams entered the transfer portal. She's one of the only losses that it appears this women's team is going to have to take between last season and this upcoming season. She stepped into a starting role last year, last year after two years on the bench, and she was really productive. This is a tough loss for Lisa Fortier's team. 33 starts last year. She played about 31 minutes per game, 7.7 points, 3.9 rebounds, 2.3 assists, and one steal. Did a little bit of everything. She also shot 34% from beyond the arc and 81% from the free throw line. So three-level scorer, good rebounder, solid distributor, got some steals as well, kind of did a little bit of everything. Again, that, that's a tough loss. So I think we'll see Ajuku potentially step into that role for the Zags. Uh, maybe Eliza Hollingsworth steps up, does a little bit more. Maybe there's some other youth on the roster that could step up here. Also, uh, they're bringing back former five-star wing Bree Salenbeam. Uh, and she was a five-star player. She did not play at all last year with an ACL injury. She played only nine minutes per game as a freshman in the 2021-22 season. Nine games, nine minutes, 2.6 points per game. Did not play last year. So what she's going to be like, how much she can contribute, completely up in the air right now. But between retaining Salenbein back to a, a bigger role next year, between adding a Juku, I think you can feel pretty confident that you can replace at least most of that production from Michaela Williams and have this team back in a spot where they're more or less the same roster construction. 
they have one extra year of experience all playing with each other. And I think you're going to be, you got to be feeling pretty good about where this team is at, uh, where they might kind of, you know, the, the aspirations, hopefully you expect the WCC to kind of rise their level a little bit. Uh, and, and that may not be the case. They've had more players transfer out than transfer in so far across the rest of the, the league. And it was not a good basketball conference on the women's side last year. And if that doesn't change, that's going to hurt Gonzaga's ability to get a higher seed, which is what kind of doomed them last year. So there's, there's still some work to do. Hopefully the rest of the WCC can do their part, but I would feel pretty optimistic about where this women's team is at. Another note on Michaela Williams, a longtime girlfriend of Dominic Harris, who of course is also in the transfer portal. May mean nothing, may mean something. If we find out Michaela Williams has transferred somewhere, I think we'll keep an eye on that uh, as a potential landing spot for Dom as well. And that, of course, works both ways. All right, we've got more updates on the women's team coming later in the summer as we see more transfer portal additions, subtractions. If there are any more, quite honestly, this might be it for Lisa Fortier's team. Hopefully we'll get an opportunity to speak to her or somebody on the team and get their kind of perspective on the new talent and, and what this roster might look like heading into next season. But that is going to do it for me today. So don't forget to check out the new podcast, Locked On College Basketball, if you have not done so yet. It is available wherever you get your podcast. It is also available on YouTube five days a week, talking all things Transfer Portal and College Hoops. Uh, you can also, of course, continue to check out Locked On Zags wherever you get your podcasts on YouTube as well. More Transfer Portal updates, more season interview episodes, more coverage on the Zag baseball team, Gonzaga women's basketball, all the things about this Gonzaga University. We will have it covered here on Locked on Zag, so don't miss it. Thank you all for listening, and of course, as always, go Zags.